Ramble. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place before we get started i just want to let you guys know that the official one year anniversary merch for rotten mango is officially live at fanjoy.co slash stephanie sue i'm so excited please go check it out bada bing bada oh shit i missed my cue (laughs) (laughs) boom (laughs) bada bing bada boom it's a mini sode welcome to this week's mini sode it's about to get really intense and guess what no chit chat we're throwing you straight into the crime becky had fallen and she hit something really hard so becky's 18 she's never broken a bone before in her entire life this might be the first time. In fact, it feels like she broke every single bone in her body. The last thing that definitively Becky can remember is that she was being thrown off of a bridge into the river, a bridge that is 12 stories tall, over 120 feet tall. And she didn't slam into the bottom of the river. Instead, she hit a stone ledge, then rolled into the river's cold, freezing water. It was painful. She felt like her legs wouldn't work. They were useless. I mean, she couldn't even swim with them. She starts drowning. She's clawing at the rocks with her hands. She's fighting so hard to not fall into the current of this river. She fought so hard that her pants slid off of her. Because of the current of the river was trying to drag her pants with her, but she just was holding onto these rocks. And finally, she crawls out of the river. She's holding onto these cold rocks. She's trying so hard to breathe. She had to drag herself out. She's completely naked from the waist down. And she starts reaching for more rocks and more rocks. Once her legs hit the rocks, she wants to scream. It's so painful. But she's worried that the two men who threw her in here were going to come back for her. So she pretty much hoists herself up onto these rocks and she finds these two big rocks and she's hiding in between them. She's freezing. She physically has to move her legs to crawl into a fetal position. Like one by one with her arms, she's pulling up one leg at a time to her chest so that she can keep warm. She's trying to cover herself with some random leaves that she can kind of grab at. And her whole thing is don't fall asleep. Her left eye had been completely swollen shut. It was hurting. She couldn't even see her own hand in front of her face. And once her breathing slowed, she's thinking, where is my sister? Her sister had been thrown off the bridge too. Was she alive? Is she dead? Why can't I hear her? The last thing that her sister said to Becky was, I love you, Becky. And now she is barefoot, naked, below the waist, And she knew that she couldn't be able to stay here. I mean, she can't just stay all night in this freezing winter, just 
in between these two rocks. So she has to find a way to get to the main road, to get to the bridge. So she starts climbing back to the main road, dragging her legs. And she's scraping them against these sharp rocks. She gets to the top and it's like eight in the morning at this point. She had been thrown off at like 1230 in the morning. And an older couple was going fishing that early morning. They're driving past the bridge when they see something move, something red. And when they look closer, it's a girl covered in dried blood. So they start running to her and she couldn't walk. You know, they carried her to the back seat. Her face was covered in dried blood. There was this massive gash in her hip that was so bad. They said they saw a layer of fat coming out of it, oh. oozing out of it. Her entire butt had been stripped by the rocks. And they asked her, my God, what happened to you? And Becky said, I was raped and thrown off the bridge. My little sister, too. She's still down there someplace. I think I think she's dead. That was the first time Becky died on that bridge. She would die once more. So this all takes place in Casper, Wyoming. And this is one of those stories that's going to get you emotional. It's going to get you riled up and it's going to get you confused. I'm sorry. There was no other way to throw you into this crime without throwing you there, because that is probably one of the most heroic efforts that I have ever seen or ever read of or heard of. I mean, it's insane. This all takes place in Casper, Wyoming, which is considered a really uh, small town, like a close knit neighborhood, especially at the time. Um, It's kind of known for their cows and their oil. They have insane cold winters and their weather is sporadic it's like one of those places it kind of reminds me of houston texas where you're like oh you're from houston what's that like and the first thing they want to mention is the weather they're like oh the freaking weather is gnarly now casper was just like that sometimes it would snow in june Sometimes there would be these massive heat waves in January. It was just all over the place, okay? And all throughout Casper, they had this intense river that would just regularly flood through the spring. This is not... Now, I grew up in a small town. This is not a small town where they're like, oh, during the winters or during the summer, we're going to go frolic by the river. This river was so intense, nobody really hung out there. It wasn't a destination. It wasn't a place to, like kill time it was this thick dark murky water and the current was so fast and the river was so deep no one really tried to risk anything and casper wyoming was known as um like a windy place that's what that's what (laughs) according to a lot of people that lived in casper they said if you stay in casper for a while you'll have trouble walking upright anywhere else you go (laughs) because it's that much wind so you're always walking at an angle against the wind (laughs) and the locals are adamant they're so annoyed that chicago is called the windy city because they're like no fork you chicago we're the windy city what are you talking about there's actually a theory that wind contributes to the town's higher suicide rate Yeah, apparently the study was done in the 70s, though, so I don't know how credible that is. They said that because of the wind, because of like, I don't know, the way that it makes people feel. Maybe it has something to do with your inner ear. Maybe it has to do with the fact that there would always be these massive trains running through the entire town carrying wood, food, supplies, all of that through Casper, Wyoming. It would actually the wind would disperse all of that pollution as well. So maybe it's that. (laughs) But I mean, there's just a lot going on in this town, right? So there's this one resident by the name of Jerry Jenkins in this town, and he's going to be a very pivotal part of this story. He's an absolute horrible monster. He looked a lot more harmless than he actually was. That's what people said. He was a little bit on the heavier side. He had constantly just this greasy, nasty, oily hair, and people thought, oh, he's a harmless bear. 
That's what they thought of him. But once you really get to know him, I mean, he was a bad dude. He was in and out of jail. He was considered evil. He had been arrested for the gang rape of his ex-girlfriend. Of his ex-girlfriend. So let me tell you what Jerry did before I tell you about his childhood, right? He lured his ex-girlfriend out to meet him, and she trusted him. She was like, oh, I, I dated this guy. Of course, yeah, let's go grab some coffee. She gets into the car. Turns out he's got two buddies with him. They drive to this little back alleyway, and they all take turns raping her. And then they just dump her in the alleyway and they tell her, if you tell anyone, I will kill you. And his childhood was, um, it was a mess. I don't think that that's like an and excuse girl, or anything. the ex-girlfriend told the police. Oh, yeah. She went to the police and there was one. So all of them were going to be tried separately. All three of the rapists, right? Mm-hmm. But after the first trial, she couldn't do it anymore. The cross-examination was too intense. So the rapist lawyer was like, oh, are you sure you didn't want to just have sex with all three men in the back of the dark alleyway? because you used to date one of them Mm. maybe you're just embarrassed that's what they said so jerry jenkins childhood was an absolute shit show of a mess his dad jerry jenkins dad mr jenkins was an alcoholic and he beat his entire family ruthlessly like his wife his kids the kids also had no discipline so it wasn't a situation where the dad was like this crazy disciplinarian that's like you gotta go to school church all of that because i feel like we've seen those childhoods before Mm. and they never turn out well but you get it it wasn't that at all The, the kids were getting into drugs they were skipping school super early on like i'm talking in elementary school so they're like smoking weed insanity so by the time that jerry is 18 he was arrested over 10 times for various different things like public drunkenness careless driving like a hit and run (laughs) that's not really careless driving that's like a really intense crime drugs stealing cars petty crime his favorite thing to do his favorite activity in life was to rob these liquor stores but most of the time when he's robbing them he would be so drunk so he'd rob it grab all of these liquor bottles not even for cash i'm talking for straight up liquor bottles okay he would grab them run out and then he would stumble drop them all on the ground at one point he had smashed his glasses onto the ground and broken them and he just sat out on the curb waiting for the cops wow he was just not not a smart dude so at this point in the story jerry jenkins is now 29 years old and he was living with his 18 year old girlfriend that's a huge age gap they met when he was 26 and she was only 16 years old and the whole thing with darcy his girlfriend is that she was kind of going through a rebellious phase she was like i'm a i'm a high school teenager i want to do things that are going to piss off my parents i just want to experience life so they start dating and she gets pregnant with her first kid senior year in high school So by the time that she's 18 years old, they had another daughter and she was born like maybe a month before this crime took place and she was still in the hospital. So their second kid is in the hospital and she's waiting to be picked up by the parents. So Darcy, she's this teen mom, you know, she's the main breadwinner on top of that. Jerry Jenkins, 29 years old, is not pulling through. He is not making money. He is not putting food on the table. You know, Darcy would be this nurse's aide, a waitress, pretty much anywhere this teenager could find work. She was doing it so that she could support her kids and jerry jenkins because his favorite thing to do was to be a the world's worst stay-at-home dad pretty much like he wanted to stay at home with his daughter but pretty much all he would do is lay on the couch watch tv and feed his kids candy just all day his daughter was like one and they would eat candy for breakfast candy for lunch candy for dinner 
That was the type of schedule they were on. So when the crime takes place, Jerry was working at the local gas station for the past couple of weeks. And that specific morning, him and his wife, Darcy, his girlfriend, and um, their one-year-old daughter, they're eating candy for breakfast. And he keeps mentioning, you know, something's going on at work. So, of course, Darcy's like, again? Like, I know exactly what this means. This means that you're going to quit your job. You always freaking quit your jobs. I'm so sick of it. You always have this dumb excuse. Oh, this sucks about work. Oh, this boss said this. Oh, this person's out to get me. I am so done with this. What is wrong with you? We've got to support our kids. And he's like, okay, that's not what I was expecting this morning. I thought you were going to be a supportive girlfriend and tell me, you know what? If you don't like your job, don't be miserable. But I guess that's not what's happening. So why don't I just go to work then? Why don't I just go to work? So she's like, yeah, freaking go to work. Don't forget to come pick me up at 1 p.m. So he was supposed to come home during lunch so that they could drive to the hospital to pick up their newborn daughter. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll see you at 1 p.m. Darcy's waiting. 1 p.m. passes. Nobody's home. Then 2 p.m. Jerry's still not there. So she decides to call up the gas station where he works. And the boss is like, oh, he never showed up today. In fact, he hasn't showed up in the past couple of days. Like he hasn't been here. Uh, He's been MIA. Yeah. And we're thinking about firing him. So I don't know what's going on over there, but does he have a new job or something? And she's like, "Okay, thank you for letting me know. Hangs up the phone and she's done. Darcy is freaking done. She's packing up her stuff. She's like, I'm going to get my kids. I'm going to leave. This is going to be a whole thing. And she calls up her friend. So Darcy's friend comes over and is like, hey, what's going on? What do you need a ride for? And she's like, well, I need to go pick up my daughter because Jerry's not home. I can't get in contact with him. He was supposed to take me to the hospital. So the friend is like, wait, that's crazy because I just saw Jerry. He's hanging out at the bar. They're playing pool. Him and his friend uh, Ron Kennedy. Is that his name? So the mother forkers playing pool. And this is another red flag because the one other thing that Darcy absolutely hated about her her boyfriend husband is Ron Kennedy. This is Jerry's best friend and he was 22 years old they would constantly go drinking together this guy just did not have good vibes they would enable each other's bad habits ron kennedy didn't have a job he lived with his mom and his wife and he pretty much wanted to spend every single second out of the house because anytime he's at home people would tell him hey are you gonna get a job (laughs) and ron's family history is really dark too ron's older brother was one of the people in the gang rape case that jerry had going on so Jerry was raping the ex-girlfriend with Ron's brother. Yes. Now he's best friends with... Now Ron's brother is sitting in jail. So now he's best friends with the little brother, Ron. Oh, my God. And, you know, one thing that people knew about Ron Kennedy was that he hated women. People didn't know what the reason was. Like, did they do something to you? You know, what happened? Did your mom do something to you? Because maybe it's one of those situations. But nobody has any idea. I mean, he comes from a very broken family. His dad was an alcoholic and his mom was a single mom just trying to put food on the table. But there's no inkling that his mom was that abusive. It just Mm -hmm. seems like he wants to take out anger on women. When Ron Kennedy was in the eighth grade, he broke into an elderly woman's home, beat her up to a pulp and stole $20 from her purse. This was like his first major arrest, but it kept going downhill afterwards. Over 20 arrests were made by the time he turned 18. Over 20 arrests. So Ron's first wife, because this was his third marriage that he's on by 22 years old. First of all, where is he finding these women who want to marry him? Okay. secondly, uh, the first wife, she said that she filed for divorce. She wasn't having it anymore. And he kidnapped her, raped her and told her he genuinely believed that because they had sex, their divorce proceedings would be rendered like moot. 
I'm going to tell the judge that we had sex after you filed for divorce. So they're not going to grant us a divorce. That's Uh what he told her. And she was like, you're a psychopath. And she went to the cops. I mean, there is a lot of there's actually a lot more information on these two guys childhoods than the two victims childhoods and i don't really want to dive in deep because it's nothing that's insane that happens it's it's a shitty childhood i feel sympathy but it's not one of those cases you know how we cover some serial killers where we're like oh doesn't excuse anything they're evil they get they deserve the punishment that they get but you're like wow i feel for that five-year-old i feel for when they were young and this happened to them because that's tragic nothing like this should ever happen to a kid but Mm -hmm. with these two i mean they're just straight up nasty like i don't know how to describe it there was not one point in their childhood where i'm like oh yeah totally it just seems like a rough you know underprivileged area that's pretty much it Mm -hmm. and their parents were somewhat verbally abusive and alcoholics but other than that i mean do you know how many kids are born into families like that and they do completely fine and don't try to kill people so on the other side of town in casper wyoming we had the girls families the victims family and the mom tori she was an amazing mom she had these four beautiful daughters one of them was becky the other one was amy so becky was 18 when this takes place and amy is 11 years old so they're half sisters and they get along so freaking well i could not find a lot of information on becky's childhood but people said that she was really smart she was beautiful she was in intelligent she had a lot of friends she was incredibly popular and amy on the other hand she's in the sixth grade and she was considered a tomboy like a really big spark of a personality they said that she's like a bundle of electricity so she's just going around doing things there's a really interesting story when she was in kindergarten she's taken to the dentist's office so her mom's like well i'll just be in the waiting room you go and do your thing with the dentist and come back out and maybe i'll give you some candy so she's waiting and all of a sudden the dentist's door so slams open amy comes walking out she's storming out and she says that son of a bitch and i was like what (laughs) amy is in kindergarten her mom is like what did you just say and then the dentist comes out and his knuckles are all bloody she bit him she bit him Amy bit the doctor. Amy bit the dentist because she had no well, but idea. How do you know if the dentist didn't punch? Oh Amy. my god, <laughs> you've been listening to too much true crime. <laughs> and you know, Amy also had a really sweet side. If she ever did anything, I'm sure she wrote a letter to this dentist. Okay, but if she ever did anything bad, for example, she went to a summer camp and she broke a plate. She felt so bad. She spent like a week just writing out a letter over and over again of how she was going to apologize and offering to pay for that broken plate. She always wear these um, hair bows that had to match her outfit. It had to be the same color of her outfit or she's not going to school. It's not happening. That's her uniform. And so on this particular day that this entire crime takes place and we get to the bridge, Amy's hanging out with her best friend. They had walked home from school and they live on the same street. So pretty much all day after school, they've been running around, eating this, going into each other's houses. They had lunch, they had dinner. And finally, 9 p.m. rolls around and she's like, oh, my God, I got to go. My mom's going to get mad at me. So as she's about to open the door into the house, 18 year old Becky comes out and she's like, hey, do you want to come with me? I'm going to go pick up some things from the convenience store. Mom says we're out of like sour cream and stuff. Do you want to come? And so Amy's like, really? Did she give you money? Now, side note, Amy never misses a chance to get candy. This is like her, this is her thing. This is her jam. So she's like, she gave you money, extra money. Oh, yeah, I'm coming. So she gets into the car and the two of them, they drive off. And this is around 9 p.m. They drive off to the convenience store. 
when I was working, I would be on my feet for like eight, nine hours a day. So my favorite go-to pair of shoes were a pair of simple flats that were cute, stylish, hopefully comfortable. But you know what that process takes. That means you're going to have a break-in period where your feet are going to be completely blistered because these flats are not quote-unquote broken in. Let me tell you about Rothy's. My feet are so comfortable. What makes Rothy's so good is that their unique seamless design is insanely comfortable from the moment that you put them on. No more breaking in your shoes, period. Their styles are sustainably made with materials like plastic water bottles. They're fully machine washable and they're available in tons of shapes, styles, and colors so that you can always find the right shoe for you. I have their flats and when I tell you that I really had no break-in period, I really had no break-in period. I never had a blister on the back of my feet. None of that. They're so comfortable. I could wear them for nine hours if I wanted to. A lot of people describe it as if it's like walking on clouds, you know, no break-in period, no blisters, just pure comfort. They actually have over 5,000 near perfect reviews for their best-selling shoe, which is the point in black, which is the one that I have. And I feel like anytime that I say a shoe is comfortable, people are going to be like, oh, I bet it doesn't look that good. Their styles are so cute. Go on their website. They have slip-on sneakers, classic flats. They even have chic handbags and spacious totes. It just makes getting dressed easier. And it's made with 100% recycled materials. Pop Sugar actually named Rothy's one of the most comfortable and cute flats that you'll never tire of wearing. So keep it clean with washable shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to rothys.com slash mango to find your new favorites today. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash mango. Now at the same time, there were two guys in town. Yes, Jerry and Ron. And by 9 p.m., they were still out. They were drinking. They were dreading going home because both of their wives were going to be pissed at this point. They had smoked a little bit. And Jerry decides, you know what? I'm freaking hungry. I need to go get some food. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't really want to go to a restaurant. Why don't we go to the convenience store? Because I ran out of cigarettes too. So I can buy some food, buy some snacks, buy some cigarettes. So they head to the town's convenience store and they pull into the lot at the same time a white station wagon with two people pull in. And inside of that car, they see this beautiful brunette and they see this tiny little girl with pigtails on with these little pink bows that match her shirt. And so they watch them park and they watch the two people get out. And Ron gets excited. He's like, did you look at her? The driver, did you look at her? I want to meet her. I want to meet her. I want to talk to her. And so Jerry's like, okay, well then freaking go talk to her. Why are you telling me this? No, 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 no. I've got a better idea. So he gets out of the car, bends down right next to the girl's station wagon and slashes the rear tire. So once the girls get out of the store, you know, they load up their groceries and she start, Becky starts reversing out of the parking spot. And she's like, oh, my God, something's wrong. She parks literally like a couple feet out of that parking spot, gets out, sees her tire is completely flat in the rear. And she starts cursing. I mean, she's pissed because side note, she had recently just gotten that specific tire fixed a couple days ago. So she's like, are you kidding me again? Like I'm having troubles again. So she parks back into her parking spot because she doesn't want to risk having, you know, more issues with the car. And all of a sudden, another car pulls up. Two very nice-looking guys. Well, not nice-looking. They're really ugly. I'm not shaming them. Their souls are ugly, okay? But they look relatively harmless. And they say, hey, uh, what's wrong? Are you okay? I saw that you are trying to reverse. Did something happen? And she says, well, my tire is flat, and I don't know what to do. I don't have a spare tire. 
So they're like, we could totally take a look at it. So they get out, they take a look, and, you know, it's super dark. They, they're they like, do you have a flashlight? The store was closing up. They generally don't have a ton of lights in this convenience store parking lot to begin with. And so they're like, why don't we lift your car up on our jack? So they start lifting that side of the car up. And they get out their toolbox. And Jerry starts messing with her car with a wrench. And he's like, oh, my God, my wrench doesn't work with your car. I gotta- what were they trying to do? They were just trying to take the... So they had a spare tire. So they were like, here, take our spare tire, right? And so they're like, why don't we go to another store nearby and see if they can fix your tire up super fast? I'll bring your tire. So Becky's like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Do do you want me to stay? You know? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you you stay. Wait with your car. And we're going to go get your tire fixed. She's like, this is this is awesome. Right. So Becky tells Amy to go into the store before they close because they're about to close and call their mom. Let them know what's going on. Like, mom, we've got another flat tire. This is what's happening. There's two really nice guys that are going to be helping us. And Mm -hmm. Amy was stoked for this. Okay, Amy had leftover change. So she's like, I didn't have time to buy extra candy because it was getting late. But now now I have an excuse. So she goes, she's buying candy. She's calling her mom. And a few minutes later, the guys are back. This is like too quick. They could not have gone to like any service station at this point. And they keep trying to get Becky to get into the car. They're like, we need you. It's going to be easier if you come to the station with us. You know, you know more about your tire than we do. We just need you to come. And she's uh-huh. like, OK, um, hold on. I have to wait for my sister. She's in the co- she's in the convenience store right now. Uh-huh. So they're like, OK, OK, we'll wait for your sister. And so Amy comes running out. And they open the door. Amy slides into the back seat and Becky is about to get in when all of a sudden Ron puts a knife up to her, her rape cage. I mean, this was confusing for her later, she said, because she was already getting into the car. She just doesn't understand what was the purpose of this. Right. So he's like, get into the car. Now, Amy did not see this knife. So Amy, 11-year-old Amy, is thinking, oh, these nice guys are really just taking us to the station, right? And Becky didn't want to scare her. So she's acting normal. She's complying. And Jerry is driving. Ron is now in the passenger seat. And the two girls are in the back seat. So they start driving for a while. And they realize they're not going to the station. I mean, this is pretty clear to Becky. So she keeps asking, where are you taking us? Where are we going? Ron's like, well, we have to make a few stops. You know, the first thing that I want to do is go back to my house. Why do we need to go back to your house? Well, I've got a pot roast in the oven and I just don't want it to burn. And so Becky's terrified. I mean, she's she's trying to bargain with them to take them home first. She's like, why don't we um, just take me to my place first? And my mom can make you some dinner. (laughs) It'll be fun. It'll be nice. She's just doing anything. And Ron gets super pissed by this. So the guy in the passenger seats, he leans over and goes to the back seat, grabs them both by the neck and starts strangling them. One neck in each hand. And once they're like screaming and they're pretending to be like limp because he, he he's just strangling them. He's trying to kill them? Not kill them. Just scare them. Mm. And so they're pretending to go limp and he starts punching both of them. Just punching them. The whole reason, right? Because they're complying. This doesn't make any sense. He wanted to see them cry. He wanted them to be scared. He wanted more fear 
He wanted to feel like really strong and powerful and dominant. And so Becky, she's like laying there bloodied up. At this point, her left eye is pretty much swollen shut. He had punched her repeatedly there. And she's she's thinking, I got to make one last heroic effort because this is they're not going to let us go. They're not taking us home. There's nothing. Maybe they even popped my tire. So she reaches to the front of the car where Ron is sitting Uh and opens his door. What? And she starts trying to squeeze her leg out, not thinking that she's going to escape because you know that crack between the front seat and um, the door and then you're in the back. You can kind of maybe squeeze a limb out, maybe. She's trying to squeeze her leg out and her hope is that someone's going to drive by. They're going to see this really strange predicament of why is the passenger door open and why is there like a foot hanging out of it? Why can't she open her side? They were locked. I don't know if they didn't oh, have handles. And okay. so she was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So she she has her foot hanging out. Maybe a car will see it. We'll follow them. Maybe they'll call the cops. I mean, this is a small town. Small enough where people will call the cops for things like this. But Ron is eventually able to get her foot back into the car and closes the door. This entire ordeal only lasted about 15 seconds and nobody saw it. So for the next couple of hours, they just start driving around aimlessly. They didn't go to Ron's house. They just, it seemed like they didn't know where to go, the two guys. And Ron keeps amping up all of this torture. He starts psychologically torturing them. He tells them, you know, you guys deserve this. And she's like, what? Wait, why? And he says, well, a couple of days ago, my good buddy, my good friend, he was hit by a car. The same car as yours. A white Ford station wagon and he said that there was a young woman driving it and a little girl with pigtails inside but it was a hit and run and now guess what he's sitting in the hospital paralyzed from the neck down it's you guys we're gonna bring him to you and if he confirms that it's you i'm gonna kill you so why is he doing this just to scare them he like gets off on I guess women being scared Mm. and they of course I mean imagine someone tells you this you'd be like what are you talking about no that couldn't have been me because what what day was it like you start kind of panicking and it seems like he gets off on that in a sick twisted way Mm. and so he tells them if he IDs you correctly we're gonna kill you if he says that it wasn't you then we're just gonna take you home so Amy the 11 year old she's terrified so she keeps trying to bargain with them she's like what are you talking about we just got back from vacation there's no way that it's us we were out of town this entire time we weren't even in the country we went to mexico my dad lives in mexico that's why we're in mexico she's trying to explain all of this and ron is having so much fun so he starts amping it up he's like well you know what's even crazier we're all part of the hell's angels this biker gang and we're gonna kill you they're like but it's but it's not us they're like Did you know you paralyzed a hell's angel? My friend, he's part of that gang. We work for the mafia in Los Angeles. You paralyzed a gang member. And so these girls, I mean, they have never experienced anything like this in life. Not the kidnapping, but the fact that they weren't even familiar with gangs or this side of the world. They're like, what What are you talking about? Like, just please take us home. It's this huge misunderstanding. And then all of a sudden, He just stops talking to them. Ron, this entire time, for the past two hours, has been talking nonstop about how he's part of the Hells Angels. They paralyzed his friend. Just shuts up and starts whispering to Jerry. And the girls could not hear a single thing that they're saying. So this is just making them even more scared. What are they they whispering about? Mm -hmm. What could they possibly be talking about? I mean, it's terrifying. And then all of a sudden, Ron says, stop the car. 
So Jerry stops the car. Ron jumps up in his seat, turns around, takes out a knife, and starts stabbing the seat around the girl's legs. Like, you know that game that you would play with a knife between your hands? Which is really dumb. Don't play this game. I think more people do it at school with, like, a pencil is where I've seen it, right? He starts doing that with an actual knife with the girl's bodies. Thankfully, they weren't stabbed, but it's like the most terrifying psychological game. The police later said that when they found the car, it had the outline of the girl's bodies through the stab marks. Like you could see how there was a little girl sitting there, an 11 year old sitting there. So Amy, I mean, she's sobbing uncontrollably. She's trying to hold her older sister's hands. Ron would not let them. He would physically rip their hands apart from each other. And Amy whispered to Becky, Becky, if we ever get through this, I will never be greedy again. Because Amy, 11 years old, thought that somehow her going back into the, into the convenience store to mm. buy extra candy was the reason that they were in this situation. She oh blamed herself. God. So they pull up to the bridge. And this is the bridge overlooking the river that's 120 feet tall. You know, when I was researching this, I kept thinking, okay, bridge. And when I Googled the picture of this bridge... It is nothing like what you imagine. I don't know why when I'm thinking of a bridge over a river, it's kind of like quaint, kind of nice. You know, maybe I'm like drinking a coffee overlooking the river. No, this feels very industrial. It's like in a canyon. All the sides are rocks. There's no um, nice scenery. The river's really murky. Mm -hmm. It just feels incredibly industrial. Like you would never stop by in the middle of this drive and be like, let's look at the river. Okay. Right. So it's one of those places. And so they pull up and Becky demands like, what's happening? And they say, well, the men are going to meet us here and we're going to identify you. And if it's you, we're going to kill you. But we need to, we're going to take the little one first. So Becky demands, she's like, no, 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 please take me. Please, please, please leave my little sister. I'll, I'll talk to the men. It it was me driving anyway. If, if it was me, right, please just take me. Mm -hmm. And they say, no. So Ron opens up the back door, grabs 11-year-old Amy, and takes her away. So now Becky is sitting in the car alone with Jerry. And the last words that Amy ever said to her older sister was, Becky, I love you. And she was pulled out of the car by Ron. So a few minutes later, Ron comes back alone. What? And he says, your little sister is talking to the man. She's like, okay, well, can I see the man? Can I see my little sister? And he gets into the back seat with her and he undresses and he rips her clothes off of her. And Becky was fighting with everything that she had. And he told her straight up, either you give in or you fight it. And she told him like, please don't do this. I'm a virgin. And he proceeded to rape her. And he would even periodically ask her like, does it hurt? And of course she would say yes. And he would assault her more aggressively. It's like he was very glad that she was in pain and he wanted to hear that she was in pain. And then when Ron is done, he dresses, gets into the front seat and Jerry comes to the back, takes off his clothes and repeats the same process. This is a man who has a one month old infant daughter at home and a one year old daughter at home. And he rapes her too. Afterwards, he gets back into the front seat and she asks, can I please get dressed? You know, I, I don't want to be just naked in the back seat. And they said, OK, fine, but don't put on your bras. Don't put on your underwear. So she puts on her jeans and her little sweater and she thanked them. She said, thank you for not letting my younger sister see this. 
because that was her only thing. She was like, I'm so glad that Amy did not have to witness the rape because she's too young. She's 11. Mm -hmm. But where is she? And they said, well, we're going to go meet your sister on the bridge. So both men get out of the car and they pretty much escort Becky out the car, right? So they're both holding like an arm on each side Mm -hmm. and they get her to the railing of this bridge. And she's like, I don't see Amy. Why are we at this railing of the bridge? She doesn't see any men nearby talking to Amy. She doesn't see Amy in general. She doesn't even see another car. Mm -hmm. Where are these men? Where is my little sister? And right when they get to that railing, Ron says, okay, we're going to meet Amy right here and on the word here they both grab her and they try to fling her off this 120 feet just 12 story bridge now the guardrail was only three feet high which is not that high for a bridge like this right Mm -hmm. but they couldn't lift her i mean both of them they were literally good for nothing like they were pieces of shit they didn't even have any strength so she's fighting for her life she's holding onto the railing and they cannot get her over the railing the three foot railing and so she's fighting and ron gets pissed about this and he's like do something jerry starts strangling her with his bare hands and he keeps saying make sure that she dies make sure she's dead and they're both just like it's hectic and becky realizes the situation that she's in she has two options eventually she's gonna get strangled to death Mm -hmm. you know he's not gonna stop until she's dead and then she's gonna be thrown off the bridge or she jump she takes her chances and tries to survive the fall so she almost instantly, I mean, this is how dumb that these two guys are. Almost instantly, she goes limp, which is really not the case with strangulations. It's a really long, very scary, intense process. But mm-hmm. she just goes limp like a movie. And the guys are like, oh, yeah, she's dead. They get her closer to the railing, but they're still struggling, even with her limp body. So at the end, she ends up tipping herself over the railing to make it easier for them. That's how weak they were. And I'm not saying like they're weak because I feel like that's like a really toxic masculinity thing to say. Oh, like these men are so weak. But think about it. I mean, these guys just want power. They want to feel like these macho men. They want to rape women. But you can't even lift, I don't know, 112 pounds over a railing. Like you're not (laughs) who you think you are. She hits the water at around 1230 in the morning and When she hits the water, like I said, she hit the rocks first. She had this massive gash all around her left hip. She had shattered her entire pelvis. And that is why her legs wouldn't work. Oh my God. And she was terrified. She knew that if she fell asleep, she probably wouldn't wake up again. She couldn't see. She couldn't hear Amy. She just kept crying. Just just sobbing but she's also scared what if these guys are waiting around for her she heard laughter up there after she had hit the water so she's like what if what if they stay what if they make sure that i'm dead so she hides out between these two rocks for a little while and she decides okay i need to get to the main road before the sun comes up that's the only chance that i have so she sits on her butt her legs are dangling and backwards she starts lifting herself up through her hands by the way she's naked from the waist down remember because her jeans slipped off in the river and she starts dragging her legs and her butt through these really really ragged rocks and they said that the skin of her butt was completely torn off oh man by this incredibly painful, slow process. She said that this was probably the most difficult thing ever because falling took a couple of seconds. But this, this was hours 
of her consciously making the choice to hurt herself again and again to get to the top. So finally, she gets to the top and she had no plans. She couldn't even stand up. So she hears this car coming down the road and she's like, oh, I pray to God it's not that white car with these two men inside. And it happened to be the elderly couple in a green car. They stop and they pick her up, put her in the back seat. You know, when you're online shopping and you see that promo code on every single website, it's like enter promo code. And it just feels like it's laughing at me. Like, why don't I have a promo code? Should I go scour the internet for hours looking for the best promo code? Well, you don't have to do that anymore because thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one that it finds to your cart. They support over 30,000 stores online. It's a huge range. I mean, they have sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands and even food delivery. I have saved so much through Honey because even all of this tech gear like SD cards or my podcast microphone, there are always coupons deals that honey applies to my cart i just recently saved 15 dollars on like a 40 dollar foundation which is insane i've even saved money on pizza on food through honey so here's how it works imagine you're shopping at one of your favorite sites when you check out the honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply to coupons wait a few seconds honey searches for coupons it can find for that site and if it finds a working coupon you'll watch your prices drop They have found it's over 17 million members, over $2 billion in savings. Those are crazy numbers. So if you guys don't already have Honey, you could straight up be missing out on free savings. Forget the FOMO. It's literally free and it installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and you'll be supporting this podcast. I'd never recommend something that I don't use. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash rotten. That's joinhoney.com slash rotten. So this entire process, 11-year-old Amy was thrown off the Fremont Canyon Bridge simply because she was in the way. Simply because these men wanted to rape her older sister. Did they find the body? Yeah. So that night, the two girls were reported missing. Um, Tori, Tori, she was freaking out, the mom. It had been 45 minutes since that phone call passed, and she starts getting worried. She decides to drive to the convenience store, and she's going slowly because she's thinking, maybe my girls are here. Maybe they lost their ride. They're walking home slowly. They're being, you know, heavied down by all the groceries that I told them to get. She pulls into the parking lot. Becky's car is still there with the flat tire, but the store is closed. There's nobody there. The girls aren't there. So she starts driving up and down the streets looking for them for the next two hours. After, she's like, okay, they're definitely not on their way home. They're not walking. She calls the police and they tell her, yeah, we're going to tell all of the patrol cars that are on duty to be on the lookout. But it's a small town. They only had two police cars patrolling that night. And they told her that no detective would be in to search for the daughters until the next morning. So the mom would just have to stay up hoping that her daughters come home. So that next morning, I mean, she still has no word. The detectives did come to the house to see, oh, well, what if this is a runaway situation? They look into the rooms. There was money on the counter. They had taken nothing. They took nothing. No clothes, no makeup, nothing. So the detectives are like, wow, this is rare, but we don't think that this is a runaway situation. In this small town, something bad must have happened. We need to be on the lookout. So they start these search parties. Now, the elderly couple that picked her up, 
they're driving to the hospital. I mean, this is life or death. They know that Becky is saying, my sister might be dead down there, right? My sister might be dead down there, but they don't have time to be looking for her. They mm-hmm. can't even get down to the river, even if they find her, right? Mm-hmm. So they just start booking it. And the whole time, Becky had apologized because she was naked. She was getting blood on their car and she kept worrying about Amy. And at one point she was crying because my poor mother, what am I going to tell my mom about Amy? Oh. And so they get to the hospital and she was emotional, right? When she is finally transferred to an ambulance, right? She's emotional. She was scared. She was sad. And then all of a sudden they saw her emotion change. She went from all of that to suddenly she was angry. And she vowed that she was going to get the men that killed her little sister. And she told the ambulance staff that was all that she could think about that night. Going up that canyon was the animals who did this will pay for this, but I have to survive. So at the hospital, um, the doctors find out that she's bruised severely on every part of her body. She had deep abrasions everywhere. She was alert, awake, and cold, which makes it worse because that means that she is feeling all of this, right? Her pelvis, like I said, had been completely shattered. She had this large gash on her left hip that was so deep that the fat and blood was just, just hanging out of her the skin on her butt had been stripped away completely by the rocks there were bruises in the shape of human fingers around her neck and when they examined her her genitals were bruised sliced and scarred like her injuries were shocking but she was like no i'm gonna give a police interview in the hospital bed while i'm like this and she was calm the only time that she ever cried to the police was when she talked about amy and she told them the whole story and they're like well do you know their names do you know anything about them and she says yeah i think their names are ronnie and jerry that's what they called each other one of them is a little bit heavier with some greasy hair that's jerry and ronnie he's like this tall bug-eyed dude and the police they immediately knew who she was talking about they knew immediately who they were supposed to look for every single cop in this small town knew them and they were constantly together the cops hated them i mean they're constantly breaking the law and as she's giving her police interview a doctor comes over to pull out a contact Uh from her super swollen left eye i mean it was it was painful the vessels had been popped she couldn't even open it they pull out this contact and they seal it as evidence and this would be what put these two monsters in jail This one contact, an eye contact. So the two men, I mean, they didn't even try to run. They didn't even try to hide. They go home to their wives. Yeah, because they thought they got away, right? Yeah, at like three in the morning. The next day, you know, they get arrested almost immediately. Ron, ironically, was driving and he was stopped at the red light in front of the courthouse when he got arrested. And um, they read him his Miranda rights. They told him what he was arrested for, murder, rape, assault, kidnapping. And he just straight up said, well, how are you going to prove it? You've got no witnesses. That's that's the first thing that he said to the police. Imagine you get arrested and you're innocent. You'd be like, what? You've got the wrong person. What are you talking about? Yeah. He's like, how are you going to prove it? No one's alive to tell the story. So he thought the, the girl was dead. Yeah, he thought both of them had died. Okay. So at the same time, the police are calling in search and rescue because they need to dive into this river to find Amy. They have no idea. I mean, they're assuming that she had passed, but they need to find her. So Fred, his um, he was the head of search and rescue. He was called in Fremont Canyon Bridge and the police tell him straight up, you're not going to like this one. We're looking for a little girl. A little girl down in the river. So at this point, it seems like all of Fred's dives had been for um, older people who had committed suicide. Mm. And now you're looking for a tiny 11-year-old 
girl. This was going to be a hard process. So he has to get down to the river using the rocks that Becky had used to slide up. And he is an experienced mountain climber and he slipped multiple times. Like, this is how rough this terrain is. Incredibly difficult. So we see some blood on the rocks that Becky had used. A part near the river had really intense blood on it, which is probably the rock that Becky had landed on Mm -hmm. before falling into the water. And they also find two pink bows that had washed ashore. So Fred starts his dive, and almost immediately, he finds a tennis shoe. A little girl's size. And a couple minutes more, he's thinking, okay, maybe somewhere Amy is in here. A few feet further, he sees Amy hovering at the bottom, face down. Oh, my God. So he ties a rope around her and starts pulling her ashore. She had blood coming out of her mouth. The left side of her rib cage was entirely crushed. Her spine had actually driven into her brain like a fork, deep into her brain. And after he helped her get ashore, Fred straight up told the sheriff, don't ever call me again. He never did another dive. He left the search and rescue team. That was the last victim he ever found. He just couldn't do it anymore. So Amy's autopsy, um, thankfully she hadn't been raped. They couldn't find any tearing or any evidence that something had happened. But when she landed in the water, they said her spine had plunged two inches into her own brain, which is what killed her. They believed that she landed head first into a rocky ledge, 120 feet head first, 12 stories head first. They said that in a matter of seconds, she would have died. There was some blood in her lungs to indicate that death was not instant. So the men are in prison and the whole community is finding out about this and they're pissed. You know, you've got this 18 year old survivor who had been brutally raped by these two men. Her 11 year old sister is now dead in the river and the town sets up a bail fund that the locals start donating to bail these two guys out of jail. Why? Do you want to take a gander? Do you want to take a guess? So they can kill them. Yes, because they were that pissed. The community thought it's easier for us to kill them when they're out on bail than for us to break into prison to kill these people. So they start just donating. I mean, I can understand the anger. I don't know if I would recommend anyone set up bail funds like this, but I can understand the anger, especially in a small town. I can see it. This is better than we've seen some small town murders and rapists where they're like bail fund because she was asking for it because she was wearing a shirt that showed her shoulders right so this is a little bit better but it was intense these people wanted to kill them and the police hated them too so in an interview jerry mentioned that oh yeah we did throw becky off a bridge and he said like a sack of potatoes he compared becky to a sack of potatoes Anytime that they had to leave to the courtroom, from jail to the courtroom before their trial, Ron would smile at the cameras and flick them off. So this was just pissing off everyone. During the investigation, more women started coming forward with similar things that happened to them. Ron's favorite way to talk to a woman was to slash her tires and then drive up pretending to be this nice guy that wants to help you out with your tires. Isn't that Ted Bundy? Yeah disgusting and then jerry and ron would creepily try to like follow a woman around like if you were alone and walking they would ask you out right and you would say oh no thanks like i have a boyfriend or i'm not interested and they would just keep driving right behind you just watching you until they feel like you know maybe you're scared maybe they want you to be scared maybe they're trying to find a moment to snatch you so there were multiple women that came forward meanwhile the whole time ron is playing innocent to the whole thing 
He says, I didn't do it. You've got the wrong people. Nothing is tying me to the crime. It's just an eyewitness. How are you going to believe 18-year-old Becky's word? I mean, she did just fall from a 120-foot bridge. Maybe she's not thinking straight. I don't even know her. And he asked a police officer, do you mind asking the judge to reduce my bail? Because I can't get out. I don't have the money to make bond. The police officer says, well, why would I do that? And Ron's like, well, I know this town inside and out. And if I can make bail, I can help you find which sick motherfucker really actually did this. Because it wasn't me. <clears throat> the police is thinking about it. And he says, you know, that's not a bad idea. I'm kind of close with the judge. Maybe I can ask for a special consideration. But I think it's, it's going to take me some time. So Ron's smiling. He's happy. He's like, no, that's fine. Yeah, take your time. And he's like, oh, oh, shit. And and I have to, before I ask the judge, I have to put an ad in the newspaper. And that's going to take some time, too. Put an ad? Yeah, why would you put an ad in the newspaper? Because everyone wants to know exactly what time you get out of this jail. Oh, shit. Then I probably have to make some bets to see how long you're going to last out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Ron never asked for a reduction in bail since that. <laughs> the cops just like threatening him. Right? <laughs> the cops like, yeah, you're gonna get killed. <laughs> like, I don't mind, but you're gonna die. <laughs> so during this, while they're waiting for trial, Becky was hospitalized for weeks. Her body was slowly healing. I mean, it was painful. She was terrified the whole time. They had to have a guard posted 24-7 at her hospital door. All of the locks in the hospital were changed. Because like I said, small town vibes, right? And she would have these panic attacks. She would start screaming. They're going to get out. They're going to get out. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And these nurses would run in and they would like hold her. And they'd be like, baby, it's okay. No one's going to come kill you. And they would ask the guard to come in. And he would show Becky his gun. And he told Becky... I will die before I let anyone hurt you again. So the trial approaches and Ron, he was going to claim that he's not guilty by reason of insanity. The one who threw Amy off the bridge, the one who first raped and encouraged the rape of Becky claimed that he is not guilty by reason of insanity. Jerry's attorney was just going to claim that he's a follower. He just He's terrified of Ron. He's the ringleader. He just did everything that Ron was told. He didn't want to rape anyone. He didn't want to throw anyone off the bridge or strangle anyone. He just had to do what he was told. So they had a bunch of psychiatrists examine the two, and they said that both of them are sociopaths in their own different way, and both of them are predisposed to violent and sadistic behavior. But both of them were also completely sane and fit to stand trial. There was no psychosis involved. There was none of that. Now, what's even more infuriating is that multiple times during the trial, they would have to end early mm -hmm. because Ron's butthole was leaking. Yeah, he had hemorrhoids. It's like a butt condition. And he would have to take breaks in the middle of trial to go see his butt doctor. And the taxpayers were paying for his butt doctor. But guess whose hospital bills weren't paid for? Becky. Becky had to pay for all of her hospital bills out of pocket. How does that make sense? Because technically it's not like the government hurt you. Right. But they're paying for the criminal. Because he's in state custody. Oh my God. This is so fucked up. So literally in the middle of trial, Becky would be testifying and the attorney would be like, oh, can we get an early recess? Because he's got to go to the doctor for his leaking butt. Unbelievable. 
So the whole trial, they just want to argue that Becky was in pain. They said, first of all, Becky, she's in pain. She probably remembered the wrong people. Maybe she saw them at the convenience store and then she knocked out. Someone else kidnapped her. And then, you know, she just remembers these two dudes. Mm -hmm. But that missing contact. Remember how they pulled out a contact from her left swollen eye? Well, her right eye, they didn't have a contact. It had popped out somewhere. They found that missing contact in the back seat of Ron's car. Oh, and they have like the, the you can match contacts to pairs or at oh, least yeah. it's the, like the same prescription and everything. It was the same brand, same prescription. This was the missing twin contact. It was in the back seat. I mean, on top of that, um, it had popped out when he punched her. On top of that, there was also blood in the car. That was the girl's blood and knife markings that matched the story. But that contact really nailed the lid on this coffin because without it, it's like, well, those knife markings, I just do that all the time. Or, oh, that blood, mm-hmm. maybe it's not their blood. Maybe it's somebody else's blood because DNA evidence wasn't like DNA testing wasn't that crazy back in the day. But you want to know what's crazy? Even after all of this, Ron's family stood with him. His wife and his mom believed that Becky was lying. She just wanted to have sex with these two ugly guys. Well, they didn't say that, but I'm saying that. Becky, this young 18-year-old girl with a life ahead of her, was like, you know what? I'm going to ruin it all. And like, you know who I'm really attracted to? These really nasty, ugly-looking dudes. Yeah, and get stabbed, get punched, Ugh. get thrown off a bridge, it was and her kill favorite my pastime. little sister. Yeah. That's what she wanted. Pretty much. And they just got so mad, and they went up there, and they testified for his character witness. It was insane the defense even brought up a new suggestion to the jury that maybe you know amy had been kidnapped by these two guys maybe but maybe she was so terrified that she was running away and in her fear and in the darkness of the night she ran off the bridge amy didn't she wasn't thrown off the bridge fine becky she's alive she said she was thrown off so like whatever fine but amy she's dead she ran off the bridge that's what the defense said And they said, well, if you don't believe that one and you think that Ron threw her off the bridge, then can you believe that he's insane? (laughs) Can you believe it? So they had like multiple layers to this defense. In reality, I mean, psychiatrists testified and they said that they both grew up in these very terrifying houses. Let's be real. You know, they were abused by their parents. They were somewhat humiliated in their childhood and they just wanted power. That's it. Power to control their own environment. And violence is sometimes seen in a lot of people's mind as the ultimate sign of power. They just wanted to be violent. Rape is also, you know, a power thing. They're just sadistic, violent, and power hungry. So, of course, the jury found them guilty. And Ron told the judge, and I quote, this is insane. He said, up until now, I have always believed in law and justice. This is the guy that's been arrested like 20 times. (laughs) But for the last several days, going through what I went through and seeing what I've seen happen, as far as I'm concerned, this is a miscarriage of justice. Just incredible. This is the audacity. Yeah. Incredible. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have no words. And I'm laughing because I genuinely have no words. Like, how do you even react to something like that? It's not even someone you can argue with. Like, no, 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 you're wrong because A, B, C, and D. It's like, what planet are you on? (laughs) What? what? (sighs) So they were both sentenced to death. But eventually, because of a Supreme Court ruling, their sentences were converted to life with parole. 
but it's likely that they'll never see the light of day. So Jerry Jenkins died in prison uh, within like 10 years. He had a clogged heart. He was 54 years old when he died. And in prison, the audacity did not stop. Ron's audacity did not end there. He demanded a new trial. He demanded a new attorney because he said his, uh, his original attorney was incompetent. Get this. He also wanted to file a federal complaint. Ask me what the complaint was. Ask me. What's the complaint? Okay, so his federal complaint was that two female guards came into his cell and demanded that he strip naked. And they kept looking at his penis and kept saying, wow, you've got a nice package, and started complimenting his penis because it was so nice. And he said that he felt sexually harassed by prison guards, two female prison guards who loved his quote-unquote nice package. (laughs) So they made him take a lie detector test and he failed to which then he claimed that the prison rigged the lie detector test because they're they're protecting these two female guards who just want his pee pee. Okay, that's what they want. The audacity, the audacity. So Ron has had parole hearings every five years since 2007. He's still alive in prison. He's still getting parole hearings every five years. And every single time, of course, I mean, he's been denied. It would be like political suicide to even release him, whether you're a prosecutor, DA or the governor. It just doesn't matter. Like you're not. He's not getting out. And he wrote a memoir in prison called Untitled Destiny. Let me read you some excerpts. During my lifetime, I've experienced many downfalls and by far more than any human being should ever have to experience. I've experienced physical hurt, the likes of which nobody should have to endure. And I don't have any idea why. The hurt in my life has been devastating and heart shattering. And he talks about his childhood and he claims that he had a usually above average schoolwork. But the reason that he failed out of school was because the teachers wanted to sabotage him. The secretaries at school hated him. The teachers hated him. And it was all because rich kids, rich kids hated seeing this poor boy be smarter than them. So there was this huge vendetta for them to tank his grades. I see a lot of people talking about skincare. I see a lot of people that's like, oh, look at this collagen cream that I got, okay? But here is something that you should consider. Collagen is really good when you take it, when you consume it, instead of just slathering on a cream onto your face. It's all the rage right now, but it's way more than just the hype. My mom has been raving about collagen supplements for the longest time now, and you can actually get the very best collagen on the market from Ancient Nutrition. I love their multi-collagen protein powder because because it includes five types of collagen. It's also the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint discomfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after just four weeks. And you can transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks of taking it. I love it because I don't really taste it. I mean, it's unflavored. It dissolves into my coffee. Sometimes I put it into a smoothie. You can even make like banana bread. Put a scoop of that baby in there. Ancient Nutrition is cool because they've got one goal and it's to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods so if you guys are interested in improving your body sharpening your mind or just feeling like your best self ancient nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel their products are all made from the highest quality ingredients and they're rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity 
So right now, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off of your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com and enter promo code ROTTEN at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code ROTTEN for 20% off of your first order. ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code ROTTEN at checkout. He said, and I quote, I always stood up for what's right against the dark motives of a system. He also said a fun fact, my father was an extremely intelligent person, so I guess I inherited his genetic makeup in many ways. He's calling himself extremely intelligent, and he later claims that Becky and him were having a love affair. That they were having a relationship. Yeah, he said that Becky and him were having a relationship, and when Becky was raped and thrown off the bridge by someone else, she decided, I'm going to blame Ron, because he told me he was going to leave his wife for me, but he, d- he didn't. So I'm just going to blame Ron. So after all of this, Becky had her first life. She had two lives. You know, she had her first life that that was before what happened. That was when she was in this big, happy family. She was just sheltered. I mean, growing up in this nice, you know, nice life. She had her younger sister that she loved. And then she was thrown off the bridge. Her little sister was murdered. And this was her second life. Because she wasn't the same person. She wasn't the same Becky. This wasn't the same life. Her little sister was gone. And she had to heal from her injuries. And she started self-medicating with alcohol and drugs. And she started drifting from jobs here and there. She was in and out of therapy. (sighs) Okay, this next part is going to be really rough to get through. So she would take these antidepressants and they would react badly with her alcohol because she, you know, you're not supposed to take them with alcohol, but she couldn't stop. This was like her only way of life right now. And she was finally referred to a male psychiatrist who could help her. So he told her that you're blocking out these memories of the crime. That's why you can't move on. It's like your brain is subconsciously, you're not thinking that you're blocking it out, but your brain is. So we Mm -hmm. need to unlock these memories so you can deal with it and then move on with your life. So why don't we have a session in my office? Uh, You're going to breathe in this gas. It's going to open up your mind. It's like a truth serum, right? And it's going to help you remember the real events that took place that night. She woke up three days later and she didn't remember much. She only had this vague memory that when she was half awake, half conscious, he was on top of her. And so she told her friends and family and everyone assured her it's probably just a drug hallucination. You know, there's no way. No, there's no way. So she tries to move on with her life. You know, she didn't think twice about it. I mean, she felt like something was weird. But she was already humiliated by the initial trial, right? So she's like, okay, I'm whatever. And so she gives birth to a beautiful daughter. And this birth was hard. I mean, she had a shattered pelvis at one point. So it was incredibly painful. But she said that the pain was worth it. She wanted her daughter to live a life that Amy didn't have. And this kid became her entire life. She tried her best. So she had gotten into a divorce with that man that she had, you know, had this baby with. And now she's a single mom and she's looking for work and it's not going well. So one day she walks into a local woman's shelter Mm -hmm. and she hears these women sitting around and they're whispering and they're talking about the psychiatrist that drugged them and raped them. And she talks to them and it's the same doctor. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I feel like the universe can be so sick and twisted sometimes. Like, well, I don't know. Did they do something? And so at first, you know, Becky could not do anything. She just 
you know, some people are encouraging her to testify. Some people were encouraging her to sue him. Let's get malpractice lawsuits. But she just started spiraling. She had multiple suicide attempts. She had purposely overdosed on pills. She tried to shoot herself at one point. But in her hands, the gun broke apart. I don't know if this was like an older gun, but it literally broke apart. Like screws came out of the gun. And so she was so pissed. She's like, I can't even do this right. So she starts throwing these parts at the wall. You would think, I know, I know you're thinking what I'm thinking. It's like, oh, Becky, this is a sign that you need to live, right? But she didn't think like that. She was like, I can't even do this right. Mm. And so the doctor eventually, the um, psychiatrist would eventually face three separate lawsuits from former patients who had the same identical story as Becky, who also were young, attractive brunettes that were patients. He lost his medical license and fled to Texas. He was extradited from Texas and he faced 15 sexual assault charges, pled no contest. And guess what? He got five years of probation. So during all of this, Becky's realizing that her sadness is probably affecting the only thing that matters in her life. Her kid. Her daughter. And so one day she gets into the car with her boyfriend. And she tells him that she wants to go to the bridge. And he was confused. He's like, why? Why would you even want to go there? And she's like, it's okay. I've been there before. I've been there um, right after the crime. I went with the detective. I've been there once more after. It's fine. It's okay. I just want to. I just want to go there. And he's like, I just don't think that's a good idea. And the more that he kept arguing, let's not do that. Mm -hmm. She just started speeding. I mean, she was going 70 miles an hour straight to this bridge. So she parked exactly where Jerry and Ron parked 19 years ago. And she told him here, here is where they parked. And right here at this railing is where they threw Amy and me over the bridge. And so they both looked down and she's like, they raped me over there and then they threw me over the bridge right here. See that little thing over there? That's that's the rock that I hit when I fell in the water. Amy hit that rock further below down there. She starts crying. Now her two-year-old was there and the boyfriend's holding her baby. And because Becky's crying, the baby starts crying. And Becky's boyfriend is like trying to, you know, make sure that the baby's doing okay and he's like, I, I don't want to see, I don't want the baby to see you cry. It's only making her more upset for some reason. Why don't I go put her in the car and you compose yourself and we'll go get some dinner. Are you going to be okay, Becky? And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to compose myself. So the boyfriend walks to the car, opens the door, places the daughter inside and he hears an explosive boom noise. And he rushes over and Becky was gone. And he looked over the bridge into the dark water and he saw nothing. And he kept screaming, Becky, Rebecca, Rebecca, nothing. And he called the police. The police officer who had worked the initial case 19 years ago had actually walked Becky down the aisle at her wedding. They had kept in contact and he was on the job and he gets a call on his radio. And they said, we need you out at Fremont Canyon Bridge. It's the same girl. So Becky had crashed into the water and uh, she had hit rocks. Her neck was broken. There was no water in her lungs. So her death was presumed to be instant. So there was no pain and she was cremated. Her ashes were buried on top of Amy's coffin at the same cemetery. They replaced the stone and they had this new stone with both of their names on it. And, um, it said that they are finally together in death. Becky was only 37 years old. 
So there were a lot of questions, you know, was it an accident? Maybe in the darkness she slipped and fell through the railing. Maybe the medication she was on made her dizzy. Maybe she was drunk. But her closest friends believe it was suicide. So out of those four people, Ron is the only one that's still alive. And most people in Casper, Wyoming have no idea who this guy is. You know, most people have no idea about this story because so much time has passed. I mean, he still gets his parole hearings and sure, he's not going to get out most likely, but people are forgotten. But even the police know that there are a few people in Casper, Wyoming who will never forget, who will always be ready. And in this off chance that Ron is ever out on parole, which they highly doubt, the police have no doubt that he's going to be hunted because of what he did to these two girls. So Becky's story actually did not gain any attention really nationally until her death. So when both of the girls were, you know, thrown off the bridge, there wasn't a lot of attention nationally for whatever reason. I mean, small town crime, nobody really cared except for people in Wyoming. And then when she died again, she became known as the girl who died twice. And I don't, I mean, it's just... I don't know what to say. He's just been shaking his head this whole podcast, just silently shaking his head and getting teary-eyed. Such an infuriating case. The audacity of people. I don't understand. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I know you guys are probably just having angry thoughts like I am, but does a part of you want him to get out? Because like certain parts during this research, I was like, jeez, some part of me wants him to get out. A little bit. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's super emotional mini-sode. I will be back on Wednesday with the main episode, and I'll see you guys then. Bye.